You have been made with a purpose and given specific gifts to accomplish your mission. This is Requip. Stay tuned to gain insights to prepare, equip, and empower you to do the work of ministry. Welcome back to Requip Ministries Podcast. I know it's been a while. Glad to be with you again. What is your first love and what do you love at first? We're talking about first love today. Hey, I just want to break in here. If you haven't subscribed, go ahead and do that. Uh, you can share this on social media as well. Just helps get the word out. And uh, that's what we want to do. We want to share what God um, has. And so we're just doing that. Hey, probably my favorite Star Wars movie is Empire Strikes Back. Absolutely, hands down, love it. Uh, you know, if you're unfamiliar with kind of how it originally came out, you know, I'm not super nerd or super geek, but do like Star Wars. You know, they first came out with the original movies, but it was actually episode four, five, and six. And then they came back around and came out with the movies that really took place before. Kind of confusing, but when you watch them all together, they seem to make sense. But my favorite movie, my favorite Star Wars movie is Empire Strikes Back. This is a great one. This is the second one that was released. So this is episode five. And in that, there's a very famous scene. And just to kind of set this up, there's sort of this weird almost a love triangle type of thing, uh, this tension that's going on between uh, Luke Skywalker, Princess Leia, and then also Princess Leia and Han Solo. There's sort of this weird dynamic that's happening. Uh, and there's weird things where um, Princess Leia is, you know, she kisses, uh, which later we find out is her brother, Luke Skywalker. Kind of weird. But really the big tension, especially in this movie, you see Han Solo and Princess Leia. They're sort of this, you know, they can tell they like each other, but Han Solo's super brash, super rude, um, kind of ladies' man, just just very rude. Um, but Princess Leia, you know, she is sharp-witted, she is tough woman, but you can tell there's something there, there's something between them. But there's a famous scene that happens, and it is right when Han Solo has been captured by Darth Vader, and Darth Vader hands it over to a bounty hunter, Boba Fett, and he's about to be frozen in carbonite. And it's really just a test to see if he'll live through it. But right before he goes through it, right before he gets frozen in carbonite, Han Solo gives this passionate kiss with Princess Leia, and Leia just lays it all out, lays her heart on the line and says, I love you. It's a special time, and Han Solo looks back at her, gazes without hesitation, and says, I know. And then he goes off and gets right in to be frozen in carbonite. I mean, what a absolute jerk. Uh, pro tip, if you're coming up on Valentine's Day or just any time, you know, significant other, pro tip, don't do that. That's probably not going to work out well for you. Uh, but just in all honesty, uh, kind of going back to my story, uh, there was a girl I was dating, um, and, you know, we were joking around. I was about to go on this long 
uh, trip, basically, and, uh, you know, I was, hey, how, how do I know you're not going to cheat on me? How do I know you're going to stay with me? All this kind of stuff. Just kind of playing with her, joking back and forth, you know, and, and she says, well, because I love you. And, whoa, hold up, we weren't on I love you terms just yet. That hadn't happened. And I didn't let it go. So, hold on a second, what, what did you say? And she said, well, uh, because I like you. I said, no, <laughs> that's not what you said. You didn't say I like you. You said something else. Uh, and I don't believe she repeated it. And, no, I didn't say I love you back. I know what you're thinking, super jerk, but... I actually held love or I love you in a very high regard. Like I didn't like it when I saw all these other people. They just started dating. And like for us, we've only been together for a couple of months where they say, well, I love you, I love you. And then two weeks later, they're broken up. Well, that's not what love is. So yeah, kind of a jerk. Didn't say it back, but I don't think you should just say things back. Um, but spoiler alert, uh, that girlfriend was now my uh, she's my wife uh and we've been married 17 years so i have said it since then so things are okay so in case you're wondering that if i broke this girl's heart i didn't we were married amazing two kids uh she's an amazing woman and the love of my life absolutely but we want to get into talking about first love that's the first message that is the core message what is your first love and what do you love at first First of all, Jesus kind of gives this message in, in Revelation chapter 2, 1 through 7, but sort of setting it up. If you haven't studied the book of Revelation, haven't really looked at it, the context is so critically important. The context of Revelation, you got to get this. This is somewhere about 90 or so AD, so this is um, many years, about 60 years after Jesus is crucified and rose again. And in this time, uh, the Apostle John, who actually wrote this book, he'd seen the church just start from absolutely nothing and explode. I mean, at this point, it was multi-continent, broke down racial barriers, ethnic barriers, language barriers, uh, class barriers, every single barrier, the gospel was proclaimed and prevailing, and Jesus' kingdom was expanding, and it was amazing. But what we pick up here, John's situation wasn't that. From John's perspective, he would have been past his prime. He would have been past, man, I, he believed, I, I 100% sure, the church is going to work out. Uh, Jesus' kingdom going to keep going, but he's like, but I'm probably not going to see it. Because things were just not looking good because the government came down heavy-handed. Once all these Christians started to come up, uh, this is a new group. We can't classify them. We can't figure them out. They have this own way of doing things. They call themselves the way. We can't really control them. We can't handle them. So we're going to start killing them and crushing them and pushing them down and that's the reality that was happening in really the roman empire the roman world that was uh, controlling pretty much the entire world at the known world at that time and that's john's context and literally all of his friends at that point are dead all of his friends that 
They walked with Jesus. They did amazing miracles because of the power of Jesus and the name of Jesus. Amazing things. And John was part of it. They were all dead. And John was basically dead. He was exiled on the island of Patmos. Yeah, it was just a few miles off the coast of where churches were, but man, he had no connection. He, he, he couldn't just send a direct message to a friend. He, he couldn't just call them up. He had no connection. He was basically on a labor internment camp doing hard labor, and he was going to live out his days and die. And that was going to be a story, but Jesus broke in. And Jesus gave one last revelation and came to John. And I just love that. It, I haven't forgot about you, John. I, you still have a purpose. Maybe you think you're Pastor Prime. Maybe you think uh, you were in a ministry and, and it kind of left you, but Jesus still has something for him. In the first three chapters of Revelation, Jesus has a message and has seven messages to seven churches about what was to come. And, and he gave some warnings and he gave some, hey, you're doing this well, but not this well. You need to fix this so that you can be on the right track. And it's important to understand the context that Jesus is giving a message to the churches. And this will actually help you. And when you read the Bible, yeah, the Bible references you, but it's not ultimately about you. The Bible is about how God is making all things right by the power of Jesus. He's, then he's using the church to do it. So that's why he has a message for the churches. It's not just to an individual. It's to a church. I think that's something we've lost over time we need to get back to. But Revelation chapter 2 one through seven, and it says, to the angel of the church of Ephesus write, the words of him who holds the seven stars in his right hand, who walks among the seven golden lampstands. I know your works, your toil and your patient endurance, and how you cannot bear with those who are evil, but have tested those who call themselves apostles and are not, and found them to be false. I know your enduring patience and bearing up for my name's sake, and you have not grown worry. What if Jesus came to you? He came to your church, and he said, you're doing a good job. You're doing all these things. I see you. I see that everything, all that you came in early, man, I see that. You're working extra hard. I see that. You, you even called out some false teachers, people that were teaching the wrong thing. You called them out. You know, today's culture, it's almost... Um, wrong. Like we don't even want to talk about that. Oh, well, I'm not talking about another person. I'm not talking about somebody. Somebody else. You know, we're not doing that. Jesus says you did do that, and I appreciate it. And that was a good thing that you did. And kind of where it ends up in the story. You know, it's kind of like when uh, maybe you've had different employers come up to you, or a professor, or even a parent. Uh, I know for me. I've had an employer come up to me like, hey, Scott, you know, we just want to chat. Hey, can we chat? Man, and I fell for that the first time. I'm like, no, you don't want to chat. You want to correct me on some things. Let's be honest. We're not hanging out. We're not buddies. And so he <laughs> brings me into his office. Like, hey, hey, man, let's just chat. Like, loosens me up. Like, oh, great. This sounds awesome. 
hey, Scott, you're doing this good. Man, you came in early. I really liked it. Hey, this one project, super good. Good job. I love that. But uh, you need to work on these areas, and um, you're doing a terrible job because of this. Okay, well, you might as well have not told me any of the first things because uh, it pretty much eliminates it all because you said, well, this thing that you're doing wrong trumps everything else. It's kind of like when you get an apology, and it's really like a non-apology where someone says, hey, you know, I'm really sorry for all that I did. You know, I I spoke out of turn. I said that insulting things. I'm sorry, but... I didn't really mean it, or but, you know, uh, if you didn't act like this, this, and this, you you know, I wouldn't have had to act like that. It's kind of like a non-apology. Whenever you say but, everything before it is null and void. That's what Jesus does. He says, but, in verse 4, but I have this against you, that you have abandoned the love you had at first. Hold on. (laughs) I've abandoned it. Like, Jesus didn't say, hey, you're kind of sliding here, you're slipping there, you made a little mistake here, but you've completely, utterly abandoned the love you had at first. In verse 5, remember, therefore, where you have fallen, repent, and do the works you did at first. You know, repent in sort of modern-day Christianity, it seems like, it's almost like a curse word. Like, you might as well just drop the F-bomb. I'd appreciate that more than you telling me to repent. Like, don't tell me anything I've done wrong. Just tell me the good things. I want to feel good. I want to be happy. But Jesus loves us enough, and he loves this church enough to say, repent. Remember where you used to be? Remember how you used to love? Remember how uh, you used to put an emphasis on love? You're not doing that anymore. I love you enough to say, you've fallen from there. Remember how you used to be and repent and do the works you did at first. If not, and he gives a... He gives a warning, and then he gives a consequence. Don't you love Jesus? He's just straightforward. If not, I will come to you and remove your lampstand from its place unless you repent. Yet, this you have. Man, I love that. He peppers in some good stuff. Like, you're still doing some good things. I, I left this out. Yet, this you have. You hate the works of the Nicolaitans, which I also hate. Uh, we don't have a lot of context on who the Nicolaitans are. There's scholars, they debate different things. Maybe it's this group, maybe it's this other group. There's not a lot of context, there's not a detail. But the main takeaway from us that we can learn is whoever this group was, they were teaching the wrong things, as he referred to earlier. And it was a good thing that they hated them. Meaning, it's a good thing that they rejected that teaching, that they rejected these people. Like, I'm not just letting anybody come into the church and talk. I'm not letting anybody into a Bible study and say whatever they want. He's saying those things that are lies, I'm glad you hate that. I'm glad because so do I, Jesus is saying. You know, this is a different view of Jesus where we have Jesus where he's super kind, super soft, uh, wouldn't hurt a fly, but... But he's God. Jesus is God. And he loves us enough. That's that's the thing. God is love. Jesus is love. But love looks like, hey, you need to turn around because what you're doing is not good for you. And it's not good for anyone else. And God doesn't like it. I'm not saying this to hurt you. I'm saying this to help you. 
And then verse 7, He who has an ear, let him hear what the Spirit says to the churches. To the church who conquers, I will grant to eat of the tree of life, which is in paradise of God. Man, you're not slipping, you're not sliding, you're not stumbling a little bit, but you have abandoned the love you have at first. Notice that he's not saying a few things. He is not saying you're not saved. He's not saying to the church, you're not saved. Remember, he's not talking to an individual. He's talking to a church. He's saying, I'm going to remove your lampstand from the church, not your name from the book of life. Let me give you some good news. Let me give you some great news. If you put your faith in Jesus, if you believe Jesus died on the cross for my sins in my place, like all those things you did, you lied, you stole, you cheated, uh, you coveted, you lusted, all these things that you know, I mean, I know, like we know the things that we've fallen short on. That kind of stuff leads us to hell. We know that. That's what God's word says. That's what Jesus is warning in many other places. But he says, you put your trust in me, meaning I died for those things, you're completely free. You're completely free from the consequence of sin. But what he's saying here is that I'm going to remove your lampstand, meaning I'm going to take away your legitimate right to be a church of God. Like, yeah, people have churches, they have nice branding, they have a logo, they have a pastor, or multiple pastors, they have deacons and elders and all these things. But Jesus is saying, uh, if you're not following me, I'm taking your lampstand. I don't care what anybody else thinks. Here's what I know. I will take you away from being a legitimate representation of me to not just the world, but to the cosmos. This is so much bigger than us. The good news is when Jesus writes your name in the Lamb's book of life, meaning you're going to heaven. There's not an eraser on that bad boy. He's not erasing it for anything because it's written. It's, it's in there. It's not based on you. It's based on Jesus. One of the things I love saying about grace, grace isn't based on you. It's simply placed on you. So what happened to the church of Ephesus is the question. You know, as I read this, I'm like, okay, what do we have another reference? Like, what happened here? Well, in fact, God's word actually talks about it. It's in Acts chapter 19 in the history of the church, which is the book of Acts. Acts 19 is when they come across Ephesus. And something that's happening there, there's actually a move of God that started an absolute movement that radically transformed everything that was happening in the city that was very, very far from God. And in fact, we will find out that there were actually two movements. There were two concurrent ministries. One was from God, and the other was not. The other was from man. The other uh, did some formulas and did some church growth expert things that, let me just do this. Oh, you're doing that? I'm going to do that. Oh, that's pragmatic? I'm going to do that because I want to get a following because I want to grow a church because I want to have a name for myself or maybe I want to make money. The other was Jesus' kingdom advancing. I want to show that. Acts chapter 19, uh, we see Paul is doing ridiculous miracles by the hand of Jesus. 
It says, And God did extraordinary miracles through the hand of Paul, so that even handkerchiefs and aprons that had touched him were taken to the sick, and their illnesses were cured, and the evil spirits left them. You know, I've seen some people do uh, amazing things and and just share the gospel and just amazing. You see uh, people completely transformed. I never seen anything like that. I mean, that was a special thing. That was amazing. Man, God can do that again, and I believe God does stuff like that. I'm just saying I haven't personally seen it. All I'm saying is this is recorded because this was pretty special. This was God doing amazing things and trying to get people's attention because uh, this was a, just an amazing time where God was showing, hey, my hand is on these apostles in an amazing way. Like, I've never seen anybody take around um, a snot rag and accidentally just drop it on the ground, and someone picks it up and then takes it to the sick, and they're healed, or an evil spirit comes out of them. Like, I've never seen that, and it was amazing that that is what was happening. And then we kind of hear the flip side. Some Jews who went around driving out evil spirits tried to invoke the name of the Lord Jesus over those who were demon-possessed. They would say, in the name of the Jesus whom Paul preaches, I command you to come out. Even seven sons of Sceva, a Jewish chief priest, were doing this. And so, like, you can see that they were just going, man, this is pragmatic. Like, yeah, we have a a ministry that we're doing, but he's using this name of Jesus, and it's working. So we're going to start doing that. And they probably, maybe they did it for a little bit, and and it was working for some time, and uh, everything was going good. Everything was working, and yeah, this, this is great. Things are working. But then verse 15 happens, and it says, One day the evil spirit answered them. All right, this is a bad day, in case you're wondering. (laughs) In case you're uh, any problem on this, man, this is a bad day. When you're like powerful, man, casting out demons, but then they decide to just stop and ask you some questions. This is probably a bad day. Let's continue. One day, the evil spirit answered them, Jesus, I know. Paul, I know about. But who are you? Then the man who had an evil spirit jumped on them, overpowered them all, meaning all seven of them, one guy against all seven. He gave them such a beating that they ran out of the house naked and bleeding. Um, you know, I've been in a few fights. I've been in a few of those, um, a few with my brother, uh, you know, just been in a few fights. And a lot of them were like, man, it's just kind of hard to tell. Like, yeah, I was, I had you in the headlock and, and you, but you bit me that one time and that really hurt. You gave me a black eye, you know, but there was this other thing where I, I kind of slammed you down. I hit you pretty good. But when you leave the house uh, like naked after being beat up and it's seven of you against one guy, like pretty sure this was lost. <laughs> like they lost the fight, absolutely. But listen to what happened in verse 17. When this became known to the Jews and Greeks living in Ephesus, 
they were all seized with fear. Like, yeah, I'm sure they were seized with fear because this demon-possessed man beat up these uh, super ministers that supposedly were casting out evil spirits. Like, this is scary. We don't know what to do. But listen to what happens. And it says, And the name of Jesus was held in high honor. Many of those who believed now came and openly confessed what they had done. A number of who practiced sorcery brought their scrolls together and burned them publicly. Then they calculated the value of the scrolls, and the total came to 50,000 drachma, which was uh, basically like a coin. It was a silver coin, and it was worth about a day's wage. So 50,000 of those that was one of them is a day's wage. So this is a lot of money that all the things that they, they were using, they just burned them. Their scrolls and the things that they would use to um, conjure up spirits or whatever they were doing, just burned them. All that money. And God was doing amazing things. In this way, the word of the Lord spread widely and grew in power. So you think, okay, that's a super weird story. What in the world, what is happening? Like Paul was doing some good stuff, and then these other people tried to use the name of Jesus, sort of, but they didn't really believe, uh, and then a demon beat up seven people. Like, and everybody was just scared to death, but crazy things happened. They repented and uh, burned all their scrolls. Like, what in the world? What can we learn from this? The first thing is, man, if you've ever been in a movement of any kind, you've seen God do amazing things, uh, maybe not to that scale, but just in any scale. The first thing is, kind of from the onlookers from this, you can't always tell. You can't always tell what's happening. And that's with the second thing. It's not clear who was who. Everyone felt like this was a move of God. They felt like God was on the move. They couldn't tell the difference because it says, and fear fell upon them all. And the name of the Lord Jesus was extolled. The third thing was that we learn from this little encounter, they didn't change culture by social or political movements. It was the gospel that caused dramatic socioeconomic upheaval so much so that riots begin to break out. If you keep reading, a massive riot breaks out because the whole industry of idol worship and, and paying for spell books and just all the things that, that would have been involved with that lifestyle, just their whole economic system was tied into that. They didn't have a protest. They didn't say, you need to stop using that. They just repented because of the gospel and the whole system shifted on itself. So much so that people were like, I'm losing money, we're going to riot. So we need to go back to the beginning. We talked about Star Wars a little bit and the prequels and how they kind of release things out of order. When you go and watch the movies in the proper order, you find out some things. Yeah, yeah, sure, you got to suffer through Jar Jar Binks. Get it. You know, that's going to happen. Uh, you also have to fight through the bad acting of the character who played Anakin when he was a young boy and, and an adult. Like, that's tough. <laughs> but 
the story begins to make sense. And the author of Revelation is John, who also takes us back to the beginning to lead us to the love we had at first. 1 John chapter 1, 5 through 7 says, This is the message we have heard from him and proclaim to you, that God is light, and in him there is no darkness at all. If we say we have fellowship with him while walk in darkness, we lie and do not practice the truth. But if we walk in the light, as he is in the light, we have fellowship with one another. And the blood of Jesus, his son, cleanses us from all sin. So what's the difference between the two ministries in Ephesus? Both, from an outward view, were from God. Why? Because it caused them to repent from each of the crazy things that happened. One was from God. One was um, Satan beating up some false uh, followers of Jesus. Like, that's, that's what happened. But, but the result was Jesus was worshipped. People repented. So what's the difference between these two ministries? John reminds us that one is partner with a local church, and the other, like the itinerant ministries, doing whatever they taught and copying what they were not. This one term we hear is one another in 1 John, one another. It occurs about 100 times in the New Testament, and it's so important because that is referring to the church. It's referring to the local church, the one another. That's what it was to be in the church. So I encourage you to keep doing the work you're doing, but partner with the local church to not abandon your first love. And in closing, I want you to think about this question. What is your first love and what do you love at first? Jesus offers the Ephesians an opportunity to eat from the tree. Remember that? He offers that. Like that's the very last sentence that Jesus gives the church at Ephesus. But really when we see this, going back to the Garden of Eden, there wasn't just one tree, there was two trees. There was the tree of the knowledge of good and evil, and there was the tree of life. And this can represent two approaches to God. Because you notice, when Satan came to tempt Eve and Adam, he didn't do it by, hey, come and do drugs and do bad things and uh, worship me. No, he said, you want to be like God? Hey, this is how you follow God. Yeah, God's just keeping something from you, but this is how you really follow God. The, the temptation was something that they desired that was good at its core, to follow God. But Satan shortcutted it. The tree of knowledge of good and evil is a way to work your way to God. And it doesn't work. It never has worked. The second way that Jesus offers to the Ephesus church, the tree of life. He says, I will grant you to eat the tree of life, Revelation 2.7. Is it a ministry or the Messiah that you love? Is it the movement or is it the master? I want to encourage you to seek after Jesus and fall in love with him all over again. You've been listening to Requip Ministries, and thanks so much for listening. And go ahead, head on over to our website for more resources. That's requip.org, R-E-Q-U-I-P.org. And you can always connect with me on social media as well. And until next time, we hope you follow the command to always be prepared for action.